Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Come on. Yeah, you can woo it up. Yes, this is a great day to be together. In just a moment, Jason's going to step in and teach. But 12 Stone, I wanted to take a moment to set up the significance. I know we already got fire in our soul for what God is doing. But today's teaching is marking for us as a church. And I just wanted to take a moment to recognize this. Now, you already know that there is a transition happening, that Jason is the future Senior pastor of 12 Stone. Give the love. Come on. Give the love. We love you, brother. And truly, you know, I love you. I respect you. The trust is deep. Marsha, I love you and Amber and your family. This church loves you, and you love this church, and God's called you. And we'll navigate that transition in 2023. But on the way, God is marking us and setting our next. Same mission. Huge calling. And you're going to sense that today. Where are we going? Who are we becoming? Really, where are you going? Who are you becoming? This is for all of us. And honestly, if I had 10, 20 more years to be a senior pastor, I'd teach this today. Now, I'm not leaving when we make the transition. I'll be founding pastor. I'll be right alongside you. I'm going to serve him. I truly am. Because God has a next for us. So would you give it up for our future senior pastor as he teaches us where are we going, who are we becoming? Come on, man. That was bad. Just shake my hand. What are we going to do? We're up, down. Let's just shake hands. Thank you, sir. Now I got to wash it. Yes, you got some Purell. (laughs) That is not helpful. Anyway, welcome to 12 Stone. We're so glad you're here, whether you're at a campus or at a 12-stone home. This is going to be an awesome day together. Whether you're, you're gathering at, at Sugarloaf or Hamilton Mill or Flowery Branch, Lawrenceville, Buford, Snellville, Brazelton, and today, for the very first time, help me go crazy and welcome the newest campus to our church family, our Jackson County campus. Let's go. Already, Jackson County, I've gotten the pictures already from people in the back of the room snapping. You guys are packed out out there. We're so excited for what God's doing in your county. Now listen, maybe you know this already, but just in case you don't, we are one church body that meets in now eight different locations around the Northeast Atlanta area. And we made a decision, we believe that God asked us as a church, that instead of building one giant building sort of in the middle of our territory, where which people would drive 30, 45 minutes in to gather for church. We were going to spread that out over a territory, and we hope that this is what happens, that you get to stay where you are, serve where you live, and be the church in your community. And Jackson County, listen, we've been praying for this day for literally years, and we have a deep sense that God's going to do an amazing work up in that county, and we are so stoked for you guys. Welcome to the family. We love you. Now, this might help Koi. If you guys could all just scoot into the center of your rows, be super helpful for the people trying to get. Anyway, we're so excited for you guys, Jackson County. Secondly, 
God is moving inside of 12 Stone a home. We had a, we had a conviction that there's groups of people that might never consider driving in or showing up to a church building but would consider faith conversations if they had a neighbor or a friend that opened up their living room or there was a coffee shop they could gather in or a tap room all over the place. And so we now have some 35 gatherings, 32 uh, gatherings across the country in nine different states. And this past weekend, we got to send a team to our Spokane, Washington, the state of Washington, Northwest Pacific area, and we got a chance to have a night of worship in the city. We got to gather with hundreds of people in Spokane and just lift up the name of Jesus. It was a beautiful night. And today, we have eight pop-up gatherings all over the city of Spokane, Washington. And so, 12 Stone Church, would you help me welcome our family out in Spokane and really all of 12 Stone Home. Let's welcome them in. God is moving. Now listen, with, with everything happening across this church, it's kind of a crazy day, a very exciting day. We know we have a ton of guests with us. And listen, we're so excited that you're here, that you're gathering with us, whether you're at a campus or in someone's living room at 12 Stone Home gathering. We're so excited. But here's what I know. If you're somewhere across 12 Stone, chances are you were invited to church somehow. And so I want to answer a question right off the top. Why would someone invite you to their church? It's a good question, isn't it? Like, why would someone take that risk to show up, look you in the eye, and go, will you come to church with me? Like, here's, what, here's the secret. If you're a guest, you need to know this. It's just as nerve-wracking for us as it is for you to show up. We're terrified. Why would we invite you to come to church? Well, a couple reasons. First, they care about you. Like, they actually care enough about you to invite you into a place like this or a home gathering like you're in right now. They actually care about you, and they want to make your day. Secondly, we just believe that at a soul level, that at, at, at the deepest, most honest places of your heart, there's a desire that sits in all of us, that we want to belong to something bigger than ourselves. Like there's got to be something that's transcendent over just the life we live here and there, just going to work and keeping your kids alive and getting a good night's sleep and waking up the next morning and doing it again. There's got to be more. And I'm just going to show you my cards. Here's what we believe for you that you have a savior and his name is Jesus and he is wild about you. And secondly, you have a place to belong and that's inside the family of God in a local church just like this. That's why they would invite you. But if we're honest, for some of us, this is a little bit more complicated. And I want to be very transparent and very honest for just three minutes. Stick with me. Listen, maybe for some of you, the church has let you down. Listen, maybe for some of you, whether reading headlines or your own personal experience, your experience with church is that you have some hurt, you have some baggage perhaps with your experience with the church or really with people who have claimed the name of Jesus, who have not loved you when you thought they should love you. Maybe you felt judged. I don't know what your story is, but I'm not hiding from this reality. You might be here and this whole church thing, you got some baggage floating around up there and that's okay. See, if I experienced what you did, I might feel the same way. See, here's the danger, though. You might have experienced something of hurt or disappointment from someone who claims the name of Jesus, and now there's a, there's a thought bouncing around your head. If this is what Jesus is really like, I'm out. Deuces, right? Like, if that's, if that's who Jesus is, the way I was treated, the way I experienced it, this is not for me. 
Listen, I would ask that you would give us the next two weeks. See, this, this next two weeks is designed to help paint a clearer and more accurate picture of who Jesus is, what the church was always supposed to be like. And I pray that as, as we do that, that God would do something in you. You see, how we're going to do that is I'm going I'm to be having a church family conversation. Like, I'm, I'm talking to y'all. And if you're sort of a guest, you're exploring your faith, exploring church, I want you to listen into our family conversation with the hope that God would help you see clearer his heart and love for you, no matter what your past is. Now, church, as I, as I talk about that stuff, first of all, it's personal for me. If someone's experience with the church was hurtful or harmful or left people with baggage, I hate that. And it's easy to think, man, maybe they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And that might be true. But listen, their, their, their critique of the church is not unfounded. We, we have not been perfect in this. And when I say the church, by the way, let me define that. I'm not talking about just 12-stone church. I'm talking about the church at large. Any person or gathering of people that claim the name of Jesus, that's what I mean with the church. 12-stone I'm. I'm exceedingly proud of our church. Although not perfectly, we've, we've strove to, strove, is that a word? Striven, strived, strave? We did our, we did our best. <clears throat> we did, that's not a word, it really isn't. We, we've done our best to be a loving, welcoming people. We hope you experience that on your way in with all the craziness and all the fun. We've tried our best, but listen, the truth still remains. The church as a whole has not carried this well over the years. And we are at risk of people looking at that and saying that's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus is like and dismissing their savior. I'll make it personal. I'm a pastor. And for me to say that there's not been any pastor in the public eye that has messed up what it means to claim the name of Jesus and the calling of pastor, I'd be foolish. We know pastors who've had affairs Stolen from the church, hurt people, abused people. I, I'm not trying to bury that stuff. But what I am trying to say is this. Perhaps God is calling us to take personal responsibility and to live this out more honorably and with, their, and with a deeper sense of character and calling. See, we are at risk of people having bad experiences with, with those of us who claim the name of Jesus and therefore dismissing their Savior See, I don't know if you've ever seen The Chosen. Anyone seen The Chosen here across our campuses? Some of y'all really like The Chosen. Here, here's what you need to know. They took scripture and sort of knit, knit stories together and followed the life of Jesus. And most of it's directly from scripture, but they had to take some liberties where we don't know what happened when Jesus walked from here to here. But as a whole, they've done, in my opinion, the best job of anything I've seen of, of, of putting flesh on Jesus. Like, what would it have been like to like interact with Jesus when he walked this earth? And what the chosen did was they gathered a group of 20-somethings who had already or were in the process of deconstructing their faith. People who had been hurt by the church, abused by the church. People who had been dismissed by their Christian family because of their particular brand of sin. And they said, all we want you to do is watch season one of the chosen. And this is not profound for probably anyone else. I watched it, and God did something inside of me. I watched these folks who had been, they're just done with Jesus, done with the church. 
I watched them soften every episode, episode one, two, Three, they watched Jesus walk slowly through crowds. They watched Jesus say, let the kids come to me. They watched Jesus smile and laugh and show kindness and, and look and see people that everyone else overlooked and thought was unlovable. And by the end of season one, these folks who were done with Jesus went, I feel like this is the first time I've ever met Jesus. I've been around the church and people who claim the name of Jesus my whole life. And it's as if I just met Jesus for the first time. And the Spirit of God put a deep conviction in my heart, and there was a grieving of, my goodness, it's possible for people to hang out around the church at large, and around people who claim the name of Jesus and never have truly met him, never had discovered what Jesus was really like. And that today is why we're answering this really big, important question. Here it is. What is Jesus really like? What is Jesus actually like? Like if you would have hung out with him, if you'd have broed down with him, if you'd have been able to hang out and spend time with him, what is Jesus actually like? And we're going to be sitting inside of Matthew 14, and we're going to unpack one of dozens and dozens and dozens of stories from the New Testament where we get a chance to see Jesus interact with people. And as we've been doing for a while now, we're going to be sitting inside the Jesus Storybook Bible. And if you're a guest of ours, on the way out in the lobbies, grab your copy. It's our gift to you, our investment in your family. You can use it for family devotions this week. We're going to be sitting inside of a story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I want to read this together. So go ahead and throw that up there. Here's how the Jesus Storybook Bible explains it. There were once 5,000 tired and hungry and probably very grumpy people sitting on a hillside wanting their dinner. They'd come to hear Jesus that day. They came before breakfast, stayed all morning, all afternoon, and way past dinner. No one had meant to be out there that long, but that's how it was, listening to Jesus. It's as if time didn't exist. People could listen to Jesus for hours. And on this particular day, that's just what they did. But they hadn't brought enough food. And they couldn't just go and buy themselves a burger and fries to go because, of course, they were in the middle of nowhere with no shops or restaurants. And besides, that kind of food wasn't invented back then. So what would they do? Jesus' friends had an idea. They said, let's send everyone home for dinner. See, I want to unpack where Scripture takes this story, but catch the scene. Have you ever been invited to an event, maybe a wedding, that happens from like 5 p.m. to 7.30 p.m.? and they don't serve dinner? You ever had that moment? Like, I love, you probably can tell, I love food. And if you get between me and food, like it's going WWE style. Like, you're, I'm getting to food. Like, I, I remember weddings where I'm like, whispering to my wife, surely there's food, right? And Amber's like, I don't see food. We're in the back, and she's got a pack of Tic Tacs, and we're like cutting them in half. And I'm just eating Tic Tacs, trying to survive this thing, right? Like, I just need calories. Like, this is where they were. All day long, Jesus is talking, I'm starving. And here's how scripture picks up the interaction between Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 14. As evening approached, the disciples came to him, Jesus, and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. This seems innocent enough. But what were the disciples saying? Here's what they said. Send the people away so the people can get food. That's nice. Here's what they meant. Send the people away so we can go get some food. Like, listen, Jesus, we hungry too. 
I've been here since breakfast as well. The Tic Tacs are all gone. We need calories, Jesus. Send them away. Here's what they did. They masked what they really wanted in virtue when actually it was selfish. And here's what Jesus says. Here's his heart. Jesus says this. Listen, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Like, bros, what are you doing? You, you should give them something to eat. The disciples were done with hungry people. And don't miss this. Jesus is never done with hungry people. Jesus is never over it when you're in need. He sees you. He loves you. And the disciples were like, I'm done. And Jesus was like, I'm just getting started, boys. See, then they find a little boy who's got a little lunch, five loaves, two fish. And here's how the story continues. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves of bread. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Five loaves, two fish. Jesus starts ripping them apart, hand the disciples, and it just keeps going and going and go like Think about if you were a disciple, you, you'd suddenly turn into a five-year-old watching a magic act where they keep pulling that thing out of their mouth and you're like, how is he doing this? It's amazing. Like you couldn't have fathomed how incredible this moment was. Jesus is doing this miracle of feeding the 5,000. And I want to figure out how to bring that into modern day. Like I want you to experience the size of this miracle, how incredible it would have been. And if I had the ability, I would stand here and I'd do the miracle for you. And you'd be like, this is amazing. I can't, I'm not Jesus. I can't do that. I can't take one lunch and feed 5,000 people. But what if, what if we could take 5,000 loaves and fish and feed them all to one person? And we asked Travis to help. If you're a guest of ours, whenever I say the name Travis, it's because it's about to get funny. So I asked, I asked Travis, will you help us really bring this scripture to life and do the opposite miracle? Instead of one lunch to 5,000, let's take 5,000 lunches to one person. Here's how that went. Check it out. It smells like a, like a fisherman's wharf on a warm Florida summer day. Why didn't we get fish sticks? Oh, that would have been way smarter. I need a fork. Is no one getting me a, fit, a fork? They didn't have forks in the Bible. I thought this was a great idea when I thought I was eating anchovies, but we accidentally bought sardines instead, and they're so big. But let's go! Oh! Why did he do that? Sick! You literally cannot ex escape the smell. Mm. Let's go. Let's go. Can't swallow it. This is where it lives now. Oh. My wife is never going to sleep with me again. Maybe she's into sailors. <laughs> Ready? He's already gagging. Yeah, he put it inside you. <laughs> Shoot, I'm lightheaded. I intentionally tried to shove my fingers right in my head. You gotta bang your finger off. He went, he pulled away so fast. Worst miracle ever. Oh, 
Why couldn't we have done the water into wine one? Oh, it was right there. As always, Travis, thank you so much. And to our guests, I would like to apologize. You know what? I don't apologize. I love that. I think it's, unless you're a sympathetic puker like I can be, that was tough for you. But otherwise, that's funny. Here's what you need to know. There's more to that story we're going to unpack next week. There's more that I think God wants to teach us in it. But here's what you need to know right now. It's easy for us to see the disciples and pile on them and say, how could you guys? Like, you are so selfish. You don't care about anybody but yourselves. You guys are the worst. How could you do this? You were so close to Jesus, and you missed his heart for people. How could you do it? So easy to look at the disciples and be like, you're like the three stooges, man. Like, you, you mess it all up. Maybe you and I are more like the disciples than we want to admit. Listen, it was about a month ago. And my, my calendar got messed up, and it just so happened that it all sort of converged into one week of just craziness. I was asked to, to speak three different places and have to write three different teachings and speak for like 45 minutes three different times all in seven days. And I hit this week, and I'm like, what happened? And if you're not, you're not in the world of that kind of thing, that's just a lot of writing, a lot of time, and a lot of speaking. And I was frustrated. And there's three things I was asked to do. Monday morning at 7 a.m., I was asked to speak for a bunch of teachers at the Mountain View cluster of all the teachers coming in. And then Tuesday morning, I was teaching our entire staff for our all staff. And then the next Sunday, I was teaching on a Sunday. And here's the problem. Only two of those things were on my agenda. And one of them wasn't. And you might, you might actually think less of me when you hear this story. But I was angry that I had to go teach these teachers. I woke up Monday morning, tired, I had to be there at 7 a.m., ready to teach for a group of people that probably didn't even want to be there. I had a bad attitude driving the whole way there. I walked into the school, I sort of, hey, I'm happy to be here, put the smile on. I did my teaching, and I got done, and then teachers started to come up and go, hey, come here real quick. They started to open up their heart of what was going on and what they were going through and how complicated it was to be an educator in this season I haven't got to like covertly pray. I'm not supposed to pray in the school, I don't think. So I was covertly like uh, spying and praying with these teachers. Let me just whisper prayer over your life. And I walked back to the truck and the spirit of God crushed me. I felt a conviction because here's what I had thought. God, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I have a busy week. I got to go do the pastor thing. I got stuff to get done at the church. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. It was like the Spirit of God said, Jason, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You exist to love people, not get more junk done at the church. What are you doing? You cared about the other two speaking things because they were on your agenda. This one was on mine. It was like God said, Jason, it's possible to be successful at work and miss my heart for people. Students, it's possible to get all A's at school and miss Jesus' heart for people. And before y'all start judging me too harshly, you do it too. Listen, you, you bump into people and think they're interruptions and annoyances. We all do. Just drive on any highway in the state of Georgia. God help you. Listen, you lose your salvation 73 times on the drive home every day. Those people are interruptions and annoyances. If y'all are in a 12-stone home group somewhere else, don't come to Atlanta. We full, all right? <laughs> Stay where you're at. 
Someone really likes that in the bag. Listen, people feel like interruptions and annoyances sometimes. When you bump into somebody that's not on your agenda and they want to take your time, when you bump into someone who's in need and you're like, I, I got to keep moving with the speed to my next thing, man, that's annoying. And Jesus might just be saying, listen, I think you're seeing everything wrong. How is it that the disciples in Jesus could be at the same place at the same time, see the same people, see the same need, and then react so differently? Let's go back to the question we asked. What is Jesus really like? Here's why Jesus reacted so differently. Listen, Jesus' eyes. Jesus saw people that others overlooked. Secondly, his heart. Jesus loved people that others considered unlovable. Hands. Jesus served people that others walked right past. Go read the New Testament in the Gospels. Just look at how Jesus interacted with people. He saw people other people couldn't even see and didn't even care to see. And then he loved them in ways that people thought, what are you talking about? And then he actually cared for them, served them, healed them in some instances. People that, that, that were on the ground, no one cared about. People were literally stepping over them. And Jesus goes, I see you. I love you. I want to serve you. See, what is Jesus like? This is what Jesus is really like. See, the disciples saw a crowd and saw an inconvenience. Jesus saw hungry people. The disciples cared about their hungry bellies. Jesus cared about the people's hungry bellies. The disciples wanted to send people away, and Jesus wanted to feed the people. What is Jesus really like? That's what he's like. And if you're a follower of Jesus, by the way, the answer to the question, what is Jesus really like, is also the answer to the question, what should you and I be like? Because if you claim his name and follow him, you have to follow how he lived as well. And the way Jesus loved people was mind-blowing. And perhaps God brought you here today for you to recognize we have a calling on our life to love people like Jesus did. And people who have been hurt by the church, taken advantage of by the church, or someone who's claimed the name of Jesus, it is our responsibility to live this calling out more honorably. And I believe that Today, we're starting a conversation that is so important for the future of our church. Next week, I'm going to put some more flesh on the bones, give you a little more layers of the detail. But I want to introduce a conversation today that is so important for the future of our church. See, if you've been around 12 Stone for any amount of time, you've heard us make this statement. As a church, we are biblically conservative and socially compassionate. You've heard us say that, hopefully, if you've been around. If not, here, here's what we mean by that. When you study the life of Jesus, he embodied this statement perfectly, always, all the time. Whenever he interacted with people, he simultaneously brought this combination of truth and love to every conversation he had. And since the church is supposed to be the embodiment of Jesus, we have to live this out as well. So when Jesus interacted with somebody, he never lowered the bar of truth, ever. Like he didn't go to someone and say, listen, don't worry about what God said about that one. You do you, boo-boo. That one's fine. You do what you want to do. He never lowered the bar. Therefore, as a church, we have to hold that bar. If Jesus didn't lower it, we can't. So whatever God says is true, we hold to biblical truth, even the ones that are hard to hold to right now. 
That's not changing. But Jesus has another side to the conversation, another side to the equation. Jesus equally never withheld his love from someone. When Jesus found someone to interact with them, he didn't lower the bar of truth. He also didn't lessen or withhold his love. It's not like Jesus is teaching a message to a group. I love you all. You're all so dearly loved. Not you, Karen. You're the worst. The rest of you, I love. No, he loved everybody. And if your name's Karen, it's a real tough time these days for you. See, so here at 12 Stone, listen, we do the same thing. We're socially compassionate. We have to love people, and we have to have a language to rally around, a language to tether us to Jesus' heart for people. And you've seen it probably everywhere now. The language for us is this word daymaker. See, we want to make people's days better. Like when we, when we bump into someone, we want to make their day. Every time Jesus had an interaction with people, he made their day. Like they left going, I got to tell you about this Jesus, man. I met this guy, Jesus, and oh my goodness, great. He cha- when, he, when he talks to somebody, it was like they were the only person alive on the entire earth for that moment. You never see Jesus rush through crowds. You never see Jesus pushing his way to get to somewhere. Every time he bumped into somebody, it was like they were the only person that exists. And I hope you felt a piece of this as you walked into one of our campuses. I hope you felt in this daymaker thing that we served and loved your family well, like you felt like you mattered to us, because you do. But this is so much bigger than just what we do on the weekends and how church feels and how we serve you here at the church. This is an invitation to a calling for who we're supposed to be. Daymaker is who we're supposed to become as a people. I'll say it this way. Daymaker is not a campaign. It's a disposition. Daymaker is not a billboard or a mailer. It's not a t-shirt or a coffee mug. It's not a bumper sticker. Daymaker is a disposition to love people like Jesus does. And what is the world begging to see from us? What are people who don't claim the name of Jesus looking for? People who actually love like Jesus did. See, it's sort of this simple. Whenever you interact with somebody, you ask yourself the question, how can I make their day? And you're going, that's it? That's it. Because what did Jesus do? Every time he bumped into somebody, did he look for them to make his day better? And could he have? Yep. He's the son of God. He's perfect in every way. We should be bowing and laying everything at his feet. Oh, you're amazing. And Jesus never required people to make his day. Everywhere he went, he looked to serve and love the people he bumped into. Practically, it could look like this. It It might look like you actually leaning in to listen when you ask someone the question, how's your day going? You ask that 25 times a day. I know I do. And you know how you do it? How's your day? Good, thanks, goodbye. You don't even give them a chance to tell you if their day's bad. Like, daymaker might be as simple as like, no, I'm going to lean in. How is it? No, how, really, how is it? And then actually caring about their response. Sadly, that's a rare thing these days. Secondly, maybe it looks like you pay for a stranger's meal or coffee or gas. You do the gas thing, you're going to have to sell a kidney, but it's worth it. Be a daymaker. <laughs> Listen, it might, it might look like inviting neighbors to your kitchen table for dinner or your back porch to watch the game and just inviting them into your life. It might, might look like uh, uh, tipping a waiter or waitress generously. Listen, they're struggling too. 
What if instead of people trying to not have to work the after church shift because of us, what if they said, I got dibs on the after church shift because those people love us? See, what if it looked like mowing a neighbor's lawn, waiting the extra 10 seconds required to hold the door when someone's coming behind you and not force them to do the fake jog, right? Like, let them take their time. I'll hold the door. Like, this small little acts of kindness. Maybe if you're a student, it's sitting with a new kid or the shy kid at lunch, and you leave your table of safety of your friends and go, I'm going to them. I'm not letting someone sit by themselves. I'm gonna go make that kid's day. Grandparents, maybe it looks like surprising your kids with a date night and you just surprise them and take the grandkids. Wink, wink, anybody? You could, I mean, you don't have to, but they make her. See, these seemingly insignificant things can change someone's life forever because sadly, this stuff doesn't happen naturally today. We're all so self-absorbed and inward focused, and the last two, three years did not help anything with that. See, why do kids love their birthday so much? Because the whole day is about them, right? From the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, it's your day. Everyone says happy birthday to you. Focus is on you. But listen, it requires a parent, a parent, mom, dad, to make the day about them. And what I'm inviting us into as a church, I'm inviting us to be the parents in this conversation. It requires someone to say, it's not about me. It has to stop being about me for it to be about them. Actually, last Sunday afternoon, my youngest Lincoln turned 10. So it's not his actual birthday, but when we celebrated it, the whole day was about him. And therefore, we did things I don't like to do. Like we went down to the monster truck rally and it was so loud, I can't explain to you. If you're not from the area, it was right here at the, uh, at the arena in the Sugarloaf area, and it's a 10,000-seat arena, which sounds big, until you put seven monster trucks 20 feet in front of you, and their engines rev like your teeth are rattling. I left, and I had a headache for three days. It was terrible. Happy birthday. It's not about me. Happy birthday. Didn't make and I, you get there. And they sell these snow cones in these like little collector plastic cups that probably cost a quarter. $25 a piece, $25. I did not buy one. I'm a daymaker, but there is a line. Uh, I was, true story, I'm standing in line to get a water bottle and a pretzel, which was still like $8, but I'm standing in line and a dad walks by with like two fistfuls, three mugs on this side, two snow cone mugs on this side, just walking like that was normal. And the guy behind me must've noticed me go, cause he goes, that's $125 worth of snow cone right there. And I want, I know, it's crazy. Here's, here's the point. If you want to be a day maker, we have to be the parent in the conversation. Why did I pay for the tickets, take him there, go deaf? Because the day was about him. And sometimes showing kindness to people will cost you personally. And it requires us to step up and be the parent. But listen, I, I need you to understand the full theological depth of this. Because the risk is what this sounds like, is we're saying, so go do good things, leave. And that's like, there's, there's layers to this. I can't even unpack all of them. I need you to see some of them. Listen, when Jesus encountered an individual or a crowd of people, he always did this. Jesus leads with kindness. Did Jesus require the 5,000 people that were hungry do something for him before he fed them? 
No. Did Jesus require the 5,000 hungry people become Christians and follow him and start going to church and do good things before he fed them? No. He led with kindness. In fact, even more profound, Romans 5, 8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't say, you better go do some good religious stuff and then we'll send Jesus and make this all right. He goes, no, while you're still a mess, I'm sending Jesus. When you were still my enemy, I'll send Jesus. Listen, this is profound. Jesus leads with kindness always, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Kindness is not enough. Kindness without the gospel is incomplete. See, Jesus' mission was not a kindness campaign. It was a rescue mission to help invite people far from God back into relationship with him through the giving of his life, the cross, his death, resurrection, gives us an opportunity to have a relationship with God again. Jesus doesn't stop with kindness. See, ultimately, the crowd of people didn't just need Jesus' kindness. They needed his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Jesus, listen, that crowd did not just need Jesus to be their chef. They needed him to become their savior. And for us, here's what we hope. The ultimate hope for Daymaker is that his kindness would lead to repentance. Here's what Romans 2, 4 says. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. See, when God is kind to humanity, he has pulled back his wrath for a season and said, listen, I'm giving you a chance. I will be kind to you. His kindness is meant to lead us to bow and repent of our sin and turn to him. So ultimately, our prayer is that our kindness to people, holding doors, paying for someone's gas, opening a door for someone, loving someone, small little acts of kindness, would, our kindness would point people to his kindness. And Romans 2.4 tells us that his kindness draws people to repentance. We want people to find Jesus through our kindness. And it's not, you know what's not going to help? Us running around telling people how bad they are. Is it true? Yeah, people are the worst sometimes, right? It's not a lie. Y'all kind of bad. Like, it's not great every time. Does that help someone encounter the love of Jesus? Nah. In fact, I want you to see how this played out right here at 12 Stone in this last year. There's a young lady named Delaney, and she found her way to 12 Stone. And then she found people who were kind and loving and accepting of her. And then she found Jesus. Listen in. Today was such a good day, guys. Wow. Okay. So story time. I went to church today for the first time in a really long time. So I looked up on Google Maps, whichever one was the prettiest, and I was like, I like that one. So I just, I drive to that one at nine o'clock for that session. And they're really nice, really like arms wide open and very like welcoming to me. And I was like, this is, this is nice. It feels like very homey, warm, welcoming vibes. I had a lot of new questions, you know, so I was just asking a lot of things. And they were very patient with me and understanding. And they are just like giving me all these answers. And then I came back outside for after the 11 o'clock service. And they were doing like six baptisms today. And then she's like, have you gotten baptized? I was like, no, I don't think so. And then she was like, <gasps> and she was like, you want to get baptized? I was like, well, yeah. And she was like, okay, come on. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, today? She's like, right now? She's like, yeah, like right now. So I ended up getting baptized there for the first time. And like, I don't know, like, 
I don't know, but like, I just, I did it, you know, I just, I did the thing. And I, I was like, by the time I got baptized, everybody was like, they already knew who I was. And they're like, yay, so like, I was like, oh my gosh, this crowd outside, they're like cheering me on. Like, it's like a real family here. And I was like, wow, I feel like I've been going to this church for like a year. I don't know. So I'm really happy about today, guys. It was so fun. And I'm excited for all the events coming up and all the people I'm going to meet and getting closer with God, like really excited about it. <sighs> yeah, that is. Wow, it's so fun to see young in the faith Delaney and then today's Delaney. <laughs> Me and my sister got hit by a drunk driver on the interstate, like in the city of Atlanta. There was like seven lanes. I'm like small town Mississippi girl. I'm not used to driving in Atlanta. Boom, our car spins, their car spins. And um, immediately I just like start freaking out. My entire world and thoughts had just got flipped upside down. Like I can control what the universe does to me. Then why would this car accident happen? You know, it makes no sense. And I said, I think I need, I think I need that. Like, I, I don't want to be God anymore. And then after that, that's when I downloaded the Bible app, dove into the Word, show up to 12 Stone the following Sunday. I didn't think church was supposed to feel comfortable, which is really big for me. Like, growing up, I was like, okay, church is something you're supposed to do. And then you come here, and it's like, okay, maybe we're actually allowed to feel comfortable. Everyone was so patient. That's what I was also not used to. That was a big culture shock for me again, where you were actually allowed to ask questions, and it was welcome. After that, it's just been a repetitive, like, salvations in my family. And um, my aunt, who was Buddhist for 51 years, and I would always invite her to church, and then eventually she got to a point where she's like, look, you have your religion, I have my religion. So I, I kind of like laid off on the inviting. And um, after several, several months, she actually ended up giving her life to Christ. My cousin also gave his life to Christ. I feel like that was a, such a pivotal moment. Just like kept repeating and repeating and repeating. And it was this happened, then this happened, then this happened. I got involved with like Bible studies. I got involved in learning and getting mentorship from godly people that were walking in obedience with God. Kyra ended up mentoring me for that entire foundation study. And then even to this day, I consider her to be like, she was my first mentor in Christ. So I have such a huge heart for her. I love you, Kyra, so much. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> She's always so patient with my questions. I didn't even know Moses had a brother. For me, after I started to learn more about like prayer and how powerful it really is, I would go into prayer like every single day at the end of the day, like just kneel beside my bed and just pray for the salvation of my family and my loved ones. Cause that was, I know that that is the most important thing. Cause once that happens, God does the rest. Did you catch how it started? Simple kindness. Did you catch how it ended? She bowed her life to Jesus. And that domino keeps going into her family and then her aunt and then people are in her circle and there's more to her story that we might be able to get into next week. It's beautiful. But sometimes all it takes is small moments of kindness for people to consider Jesus again. And I have to put the word again in there because there have been people who claim the name of Jesus that have not lived like Jesus, and therefore people go, if that's what Jesus is like, I'm going to pass, thanks. 
And it's time for us, church, 12 stone followers of Jesus, to reclaim the eyes, the hands, the heart of Jesus for people. See, the world does not need another church, another group of Christians who are really kind to each other in here. And we're like, yes, in Jesus' name, I love you. And then we leave and run around and we're jerks out there. That doesn't help the cause of Christ. We have to start with kindness. And I want to invite you. We got more to layer, layer into this next weekend and teach into this. But I want to invite you to offer. I'm going to challenge you to offer a, a dangerous prayer this week. And maybe every day you wake up and say, all right, God, I'm going to offer this prayer. And here it is. It might be this simple. This is a daymaker prayer. You might even start the morning. You put your hands next to your eyes and say, Jesus, help me to see people like you do. I know how I tend to see people. Help me to see them like you do. Put your hand over your heart. Jesus, help me to love people like you do. Jesus, I know I start to get judgy and frustrated and I don't love them like you do. Help me to love people like you do. Third, put your hands out and say, Jesus, help me to serve people like you do. I, I tend to do this. It's me, mine. I got to get my stuff done. And God, I want to open-handedly serve people like you do. Jesus, would you help my eyes, my heart, my hands to align, to love people like you do? See, Daymaker is really recognizing that every single person you do, you have, or you will ever bump into is deeply loved by Jesus. And therefore, every person, every day, every interaction matters for eternity. And so we've, we've created a simple tool for, for us to hopefully activate this this week. And it's a magnet. And the magnet just has the word Daymaker in the bottom. It says praying for, and there's a little blank there, and you can get a dry erase marker. And our family's been playing with this a little bit this week, and we've been sort of trying to figure out how to use it for, for us. And, and here's what you'll do. You might at dinner every night go around the table and everyone pick a name. Billy or Susie, let's do this. I'll help make it better. Karen, you're welcome. We're praying for, for you. And you, you just sort of fill up the magnet with dry erase markers. And then you, you pray the prayer, Jesus, help me to see and love and serve that person tomorrow. Jesus, give me an opportunity to make their day. And you go, that's it? You will be shocked. It's profound how differently you step into your day when you've picked and prayed for someone by name. See, then you, you get done with that at dinner, put it on your fridge as a reminder for the next morning. So when you leave, you go, what was mine? Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for a way to, to make this person's day. That's mine today. And then you get home at dinner and you trade daymaker stories. What's God, what's, what did God do? How did God open the door? How did you make their day? You're a student. Man, I gave him my dessert at lunch. That's a big deal if you're in third grade, right? Man, I was able, maybe God would invite you to pick names like maybe it's a neighbor, a friend. Maybe it's your own spouse. God, I want to I find a way to make his or her day. Maybe it's a classmate, a coworker, a waiter or waitress that you see routinely. Maybe it's a gas station worker that you fill up, fill up at twice a week. Maybe, maybe it's an employee at a store that you, that you frequent over and over again. What if a church, what if this place would embrace this calling of daymakers and say, listen, I'm going to look for ways every day to make someone's day even more strategically, God. I'm going to name it. I'm going to pray over them. And I'm looking for opportunities to show them the heart of Jesus. Imagine how God could transform 
your family if you live this way. Daymaker families. Siblings trying to outbless and outserve each other in the house. You and your spouse going, no, I'm making your day. No, I'm making your Think about what that would do to the, 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 the fabric and culture of a family. Think what God could do to transform your school students. If you started looking for ways to serve each other, think about how God could transform your company, your office. If you became a daymaker company, we are going to outserve each other and love each other. Imagine how God could, could transform our community. This territory where you live, if tens of thousands of us said, listen, I'm not going to require everyone to be about me anymore. I'm not going to look for ways for people to make my day. I'm going to look for ways to make people's day. And when I do that, I want my kindness to point to God's kindness because God's kindness was meant to draw people into repentance and get back into right relationship with God through Jesus. So we talk about evangelism. Share your faith. The first step in sharing your faith is being a daymaker. They don't care what you have to say if they don't think you care. And we have to reclaim the heart of this. I got a story I'm going to tell next week. I'm out of time. Here's how we're going to close. We want to make sure you have the opportunity to every family grab one of these on the way out. And the pastors are going to step up here in a minute and invite you into that moment. But we, we had a sense that this was not something we should just throw out in the lobby all over the place and you walk by and sort of grab one like you'd grab some sort of free merch at a conference you're at. Like, that's not what this is. We feel strongly that this needs a moment. Like for you to just pause and say, I, I, I need to get up and get one. I don't need to hand you one. You need to go get one. Because it's you saying intentionally, God, I'm making the decision to embrace this. And we're going to put more flesh in the bones next week, explain it more practical, more layers. But for this week, maybe God would just say, I want to invite you to say, I'm going to embrace this calling to see, care, and love people like Jesus did and to live as daymakers. So pastors, would you step up and lead us in that response moment for us to live this out as daymakers? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.